Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 242. You're an artist or a creator. Maybe you have your own style, an eye for what works, and you love the creative process. But how do you balance your creativity with things that will make you money and keep your clients happy? Today's guest found the perfect balance of her own creativity and a client-centered strategy to really give the people what they want and to grow her own business. Olivia Herrick is a graphic designer based in Minnesota and known for her clean, vibrant work in logo, pattern, and packaging design. Now, Olivia is also my graphic designer working on all things Jenna Kutcher, and she's the artist behind the new Gold Digger branding that we launched at the beginning of this year. After five years of full-time work as a designer, Olivia launched her own studio in 2015. Then one of her clients loved her work so much that they recruited her to a full-time position as the creative director in 2016. But a year later, Olivia left that position and returned to her studio because she realized that she missed the actual design work. Olivia calls herself a chronic creator, and today she's sharing how she creates value for clients, even when it might not be the easiest thing for her own creativity. This episode is filled with so many good nuggets of wisdom. I'm not going to hold you up any longer. Without further ado, meet my graphic designer, Olivia Herrick. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Thanks to ShipStation for supporting Gold Digger. Right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free. Only if you use my promo code Gold Digger. ShipStation makes ship happen. This episode of the Gold Digger podcast 
It wouldn't be possible without my friends at HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the management software of Team Jenna Kutcher. With HoneyBook, your clients get to view beautiful proposals, sign and pay effortlessly without ever having to print or mail a thing. All of your files are stored in one place so that you can access them from anywhere, your laptop or your smartphone. Deliver the ultimate client experience and save 50% off your annual subscription. To see how I use HoneyBook in my business and to save, head to jennacutcher.com slash honeybook. That's jennacutcher.com slash honeybook. All right, Olivia, welcome to the show. I am so excited. And you know, what's hilarious is that for how long we've worked together, this is the first time I've ever heard your voice. I know. Isn't that amazing? That is the power of the internet. Absolutely. The power of the internet. It is so incredible. So I would love to just have you kind of walk us through how you got here as a creative entrepreneur. What is the story behind Olivia Herrick Design? All right. So, you know, for me personally, my kind of the genesis of my creative career really crystallized when I was about 13 or 14 years old. Honestly, I have wanted to be a graphic designer for pretty much as long as I can remember. When I was in, you know, late middle school, early high school, I started designing logos. I use that term kind of loosely because they were being created in PowerPoint. And I would print them out and put them all over my bulletin board, kind of a pre-2019 Pinterest sort of scenario. And, you know, we'd drive by the dry cleaners and the small town that my house was in and I'd recreate a logo for them. So creativity and design have kind of been in my blood for a long time. Both of my parents are incredibly creative and in really different ways. My mom was actually a graphic designer. They didn't really use that term necessarily. She was an art director. And then my dad was kind of more on the entrepreneur, problem solver side of things. So I just had a lot of exposure in my day-to-day life from my mom on the visual side and then from my dad on kind of the problem-solving solution, concept generation kind of side of things. So they both influenced me a ton growing up and were super supportive of me pursuing a creative career, which I was just so grateful for. So I went to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, and I played golf there and studied graphic design and also journalism. And golf is a huge part of my life. And it was a huge part of my life in college. There kind of came a point where I needed to decide if I was going to pursue golf professionally, or if I was going to pursue a creative career. So I just kind of reflected on the previous couple of years of my life of playing a ton of golf for multiple weeks at a time being focused on golf 100%. And I just kind of started to notice that I didn't feel totally fulfilled in those periods of time. And it started to solidify that if I chose the path of professional golf, there just wouldn't be any room for design in my life. But I knew that I could choose a creative career, I could choose design, and I could still pursue golf at a high level and compete a ton. It just being creative was not really like an optional discretionary thing for me. It kind of just like had to be just part of who I am and I needed to make it a priority in my life. So I made that choice. And then I graduated from college in 2010 
And since then, I have had all sorts of crazy and fun jobs, everything from a commercial greeting card company to working in a nonprofit. I worked in a school, a pre-K through 12 school for four years. And then I also worked for a startup, an apparel startup. So there have been all sorts of highs and lows during that time that I was working full-time. And I probably have slightly rose-colored glasses looking back now, but <laughs> I I honestly can say, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays are motivated to freelance or go out on their own because they really despise their full-time jobs. And I did not feel that way. I loved my full-time jobs. Obviously, day-to-day in any professional setting, you're going to have frustrations and people are going to get on your nerves. But, you know, in hindsight, everything that I'm doing now is really only possible because I spend time in those full-time roles. So every time I have left a job, and then ultimately when I pursued my studio, it was all kind of motivated by this desire to design more and be in the trenches and have my hands on and be creating as much as possible. So That is so awesome. And that's so important too, because I feel like a lot of people that listen to this show, I mean, some of them ask like, well, what if I really love my nine to five? Or like, what if I just want a side hustle or things like that? And I think it's so important that we don't paint the nine to five picture as like the negative, because for some people, it's actually like the best solution possible. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, having a nine to five job is amazing. You have consistency, you have colleagues, you have, you know, health insurance, I mean, kind of everything across the board. And it also I always I get a lot of questions from designers who either are just starting out or they are have been working for a year or two and want to leave. My recommendation is honestly always stay as long as you can. You learn so much and you're protected by your job, your employer. And it's just a good place to spend as much time as you feel comfortable. Absolutely. So when you quit your job, and I think this is honestly one of the number one questions we get asked is, how did you prepare to leave your job that nine to five, that salary, the benefits? Like what steps did you take in order to leave and start your own studio? Because I think this is Absolutely critical. And it's going to look different for everyone, but I want to kind of pick your brain on this. Yeah. So I prepared pretty aggressively to leave my job. I am really not one of those people who's just a free spirit who could quit and, you know, have an abundance mindset and just trust that everything would work out. I love planning. I love to have my ducks in a row. So for me, Before I left my job, I actually had two signed retainer contracts, and they were for 40 hours a month. And one of those was my employer that I was leaving. So I actually Ah. went to them. Yeah. And I, I basically pitched and said, you know, at that point, I was covering all graphic design and all marketing. And I said, you know, you could keep me on for this rate for a year and also have the flexibility to hire another person who could focus on all those marketing things and really make that a priority. And so it ended up working out great. Obviously, it's a unique situation and not something that works out for everybody. But I 
always tell people, you would be surprised, you know, maybe you can go down to halftime or quarter time or figure out something with a retainer structure and retain your employer, your previous employer as a client, which is a great scenario because you already know and understand the business. And, you know, it's just a great way to kind of smooth that transition a little. Mm-hmm. So then what did you do in terms of getting new clients? Because you're in this nine to five job. I'm assuming you are burning the candle on both ends. So what other things were you kind of focused on in order to feel confident in making that leap? Yeah. So actually, I had kind of been freelancing as I was working full time. And I will say I was freelancing a moderate amount. What happened to me, and I think this happens to a lot of people, is exactly what you said. I was working. I would go to work. I would get there at 730 in the morning. (laughs) I would come home at 430 or 5. And I would start working again. And I found that I was just kind of generally unhappy in every category of my life. I felt like I couldn't give work 100%. I couldn't give my husband, my family, my friends 100%. And I couldn't give freelancing 100% because I just kind of had this sense of guilt about it. So I actually stopped freelancing for a period of time, which I would definitely recommend if you're feeling overwhelmed with your side hustle and your full-time job. And I just kind of tried to get my priorities straight, get my personal life in order. I know for me, when my personal life feels great, I can take on the world. I can handle any disappointment in my business. But when that's not in a good spot, it kind of makes everything really difficult. So I took some time off from freelancing. But then one of my clients that I had retained during that time, also signed one of those 40 hour a month contracts. So I just started pitching it to the people that I had worked with in the past or that were current clients. And, you know, one of them bit and it basically made it possible for me to cover my salary between those two contracts and then head out on my own. I love that. And there's so many parallels between you and I. I personally feel the same, like I needed the security of knowing, hey, at least I have one full year figured out and I'll have to figure out the rest from there. But a lot of times people I feel like don't think like if I'm doing this well and I'm only working a few hours a day, what would it look like if I poured every ounce of my energy and time into making a go of it? And For me, it's kind of like I would way rather bet on myself than anyone else. And so I was the same exact way for me to feel confident. I had to have the same amount of money or at least close to it coming in just so that it didn't feel as risky. What did your parents think when you said it? Because I feel like a lot of times we're like hesitant to make that big leap or to leave that like cushy salary or benefits package. Were they pretty supportive since they had entrepreneurial backgrounds? I would say yes. I also think that my personality is so is just so to have everything thought through. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm a, I'm the first child. I I'm just kind of by the book kind of gal and so I think they trusted that I had put a lot of thought into it and had a plan. But I also, you know, I'm lucky to have a husband and a partner who was super supportive and never once said well, I'm not really sure you can do this. You know, he was extremely encouraging from the first time that I mentioned it, which was probably a year before I actually ended up quitting. 
That's awesome. I think a year runway is a really good amount of time to really decipher, do I really want to do this? Am I going to make a go at it? And give yourself time to like build up and create a system. So my question for you is this, what do you wish you knew before opening your own studio that you know now? Oh man, an endless endless number of things, honestly. But there are probably three primary things. The first would be In a service-based business, especially a creative industry, it's never personal. Mm -hmm. And that accepting feedback and criticism from clients is just part of what we do. It's It's part of the business. And I think as you grow up and gain some experience in your business, this kind of comes naturally. But I wish I could have, you know, coached myself a little bit earlier that, It's just part of what you do. It's never about you personally. And the sooner that you can realize that, the easier your life is going to be. Second thing would probably be that when you run your own business, every problem is your problem. And there's kind of two sides to that. There's a positive and a negative. I'll start with the negative. The negative is that literally every issue that arises, you are the end of the line. You are the person who it's weighing on your shoulders. You know, if you get an email that makes you feel a little upset or if something doesn't go right or you pitch a job and you don't get it, it just sits with you. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't have a team to kind of commiserate with. And at this point in my business, and the positive side of that is that every problem is your problem and you get to be the person to solve them, be the solution maker, find, you know, create a solution and a happy ending for all of your clients when issues do arise. And they will, because that's just kind of the nature of business. Mm -hmm. And I would say the third thing is that the earning potential is actually pretty high in the creative industry. I did not realize this. When I graduated from college, I really thought that the only path to kind of a successful, lucrative design career was for me to go and be a creative director at a well-respected agency in downtown Minneapolis. Like I really thought that that was the only way that I would ever sniff six figures. And that's just not the case. There is a demand for good design and you can make a great living as a creative, which is something that has surprised me and really motivated me too over the years. Hmm. I think that's so cool. And I totally agree. I think one thing that is really interesting about what you just said is a lot of us leave these like corporate jobs where it's kind of a ladder climb to work for ourselves. But then we almost create our own ladders to climb of what we believe success looks like or what we believe is, quote, making it. And sometimes we can get really caught up in that and not acknowledge like, man, I'm doing the work I love and I'm getting paid to do it and I get to work with great people. And so I think that's a really cool point that you made that you maybe didn't acknowledge like, hey, I have to deal with everything, but I also get to deal with everything and I get paid Mm -hmm. to do it. And I love that. Yeah, I try really hard to have kind of like a gratitude mindset. I mean, I think so often if you are not intentional about setting time aside honestly daily to just appreciate how amazing it is that you get to do what you do the wheel will kind of never stop you know you'll want to make your salary 
then you'll want to make a little bit more, then you'll want to make six figures, and you'll do that, and then you'll want more. And it just, you have to be really intentional about, you know, how cool is it that I do something that I like? I like it even a little bit, which is Mm -hmm. saying more than (laughs) a lot of Americans can say about their careers, for sure. And it's just so amazing to get to do something you love, honestly, every day. So one thing that I think is interesting about your story is that you were recruited away from your own business by a client. So first, tell me a little bit about what that is and what part of your story that is. Yeah, this was very surprising to me. And even looking back on it, you know, I'm so proud of myself for taking the jump and going for it. But it was it kind of came out of nowhere. One of my clients is Love Your Melon. They're an apparel brand. They're amazing. And I designed their logo and they had been a client of mine ever since then. And they had always kind of said, oh, you know, you should come work for us. And then eventually one day they made me an offer and said, we're really serious. We want you to come work for us. And I was recruited by them to be their creative director. And honestly, it was amazing. It was so fun. It at a drop of a hat totally turned my entire life upside down. You know, I had been working by myself for just over almost two years. And one thing I kind of had forgotten about was that, or you don't realize when you're in it day to day, is that working for yourself can just be exceptionally lonely at times. So I was coming out of this season of just being alone all the time. And especially in Minnesota, that can be really hard in the winter, especially. And I just, came into this scenario with all of these young, energetic, passionate people in this startup culture. And it was totally intoxicating to have people to bounce ideas off of and grab lunch and just like experience highs and lows together. I think something that people really take for granted in their full-time jobs, like just how amazing it is to have coworkers. And, you know, obviously some of them will probably get on your nerves, but just to have people that you can relate to and who can relate to what you're doing every day is just such an incredible thing. So it was a really fun transition when it happened. So what was it like going back to work for someone else? And then how did you kind of decipher that maybe that wasn't the best move for you personally, even though it was a valuable one? What was that kind of transition like? Because I can only imagine after working for yourself and then kind of having a boss again, of course, there are so many perks like having a team and all of that. But what was that part of the story like? Yeah, I think the hardest part was probably the loss of perceived loss of control of my time. Honestly, I went from being at home every day with my studios and my house and I was taking the bus to downtown Minneapolis. So to the tallest high rise in Minneapolis, the 31st floor. So I it was a complete 180 and it was difficult at times. I really felt throughout all of it that I I was learning so much and the experience was so valuable that I could kind of make it through some of the longer days because I knew that I was just gaining exposure to so many incredible things. But the reality is that creative direction is a really fun job, but you just have to have the right personality for it. 
I really miss doing design work every single day. I love creating. Sometimes call myself a chronic creator. And for me, that means like being hands-on in the trenches, doing the work. And I really missed that. So my day-to-day was a lot of making high-level decisions and approving and correcting. And the scale and the weight and the magnitude of what I was doing was bigger and huge sometimes with huge implications for the business. But I wasn't doing the technical creating that I loved. And so that's kind of how I knew or started to feel, you know, a kind of like a little sense of missing that. And then over a period of time determined that I probably needed to make the difficult decision to go back to running my studio. This episode of the podcast is dedicated to HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the tool I use to send invoices, collect payments, get contracts signed, and so much more. Save 50% off your annual subscription and find out how I use HoneyBook in my business every single day by going to jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. That's jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. Thank you to ShipStation for supporting my show today. Shop Jenna Kutcher is where I sell my digital products, but I also sell items like my I Am Enough necklace. Getting those limited edition pieces into your hands in a quick and simple way is key. That's why I like ShipStation. With ShipStation.com, you can bring all your orders into one simple interface and can create shipping labels for top carriers like UPS, FedEx, and USPS and manage everything from the same place, even on your phone. Right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my promo code gold digger don't wait whether you're selling on your own website shopify squarespace etsy big commerce woocommerce or 75 other popular channels shipstation is for you you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available no wonder shipstation is the number one choice of online sellers head to shipstation.com and before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in gold digger that's shipstation.com. Enter Gold Digger. Shipstation makes ship happen. I think that's so interesting and so awesome. And one thing I always laugh about when it comes to entrepreneurship, and I know you can relate, is that when you are, say, a graphic designer or a photographer, the amount of time that you're actually doing that design or photography is like 1%. And then like everything else cycles around that. It's like emails and invoice and marketing and, you know, all of these other things. And I remember seeing this pie chart once that someone had created and it was like, I'm a photographer. And then I was like, the amount of time I'm actually shooting photos. And it was just like, you know, this tiny little sliver. And so one thing I really admire about you is that you do create just for the sake of creating. And I know we weren't planning on talking about that, but can you share just a little bit about that? Because I feel like you carve out time for yourself just to stay creative and not do client work. And I think that that is something that could change a lot for other entrepreneurs because a lot of times we start our businesses because we're passionate and then we forget to like actually use those passions just for the sake of keeping that passion alive. Oh, 100%. And I actually think that is a product too of the current kind of entrepreneurial climate where people just have this impression that everything has to be monetized. Like if I have 30 free minutes, I should be working on my opt-in or doing like working on my course. And I 
have kind of a strange practice, but it really works for me. And I would recommend it to anybody. It probably look different across different service-based businesses. But for me, every morning I wake up and obviously there are exceptions to this, but I wake up and the first thing that I do for work is I just create something for fun. And some days, you know, some weeks I'm working on the same thing the whole week. And so for me, that might be, you know, a spec identity for a restaurant, or I might be hand lettering, you know, someone's name or a quote that I love. And 90% of the time, I save it. And I put it in this folder on my computer, and it just kind of goes there and never sees the light of day again. But I also share a lot of that on social media. And sometimes I'll also do prep exercises. So for example, if I know I have a client, you know, let's say I have a client that has a logo that's kind of dark and moody. That time I spend in the morning, I'll kind of have that in the back of my mind. So I'll try to be channeling that vibe while I'm doing that for fun work so that it's a really easy transition into doing my client work when I'm ready to get started on that. I think that's so awesome. And I think every single entrepreneur could adopt that and it would look different for everyone, but just taking that time to just create, to create. And I think it keeps you so much more creative, which is going to lead me to my next question because you have an incredible eye for things. So I know that you have a bunch of different clients, me being one of them. How do you balance that creativity with clients that have a very clear idea or very clear inspiration on what they want in the designs that you are going to create for them? This can be challenging, definitely. (laughs) I will admit that. I thought about it a little, you know, just in reflecting. And I think it's something that everyone is kind of on a journey with this. And for me, there's just a couple of things that work that I kind of I kind of have all these systems in place for managing my own emotions in my business. And so there's kind of three things that I do. The first is that I would definitely recommend just being open-minded. I mean, oftentimes clients actually have incredible ideas and sometimes they don't. Typically it's somewhere in the middle. And <laughs> but what they do know definitely better than I do is their own business. And the responsibility that I have when someone hires me is to come in and to take ownership of helping them translate that knowledge that they have about their business into the visual realm. So that kind of moves into the second thing, which is I do feel an obligation to voice my opinion. So when someone has hired me, it's simply because I'm an expert in my field. You know, I've been doing this for a long time proven results, proven problem solver, and they just basically want peace of mind on their design journey. So how I voice my opinion is kind of what really matters. I mean, you know, it makes sense that a client is going to come into a project with an idea. I would say that happens way more often than not. But using tact and persuasion and thoughtful explanations when my ideas differ from theirs are really is how you're going to start to build that trust and a nice open dialogue where the client feels comfortable voicing their opinion and you feel comfortable voicing yours as well. So, you know, as much as those ideas and my opinion can be rooted in my professional experience, I try to do that. So I don't just say, well, you know, that's not going to work. 
I say, well, I worked on a bunch of projects that are really similar to this in the past. And we've had issues with, you know, on packaging projects when type is that small. So we might have to handle this differently and we can address that down the line. So you're kind of planting a seed that maybe something might need to move a little with their idea, but it's rooted in your professional experience and the reason that they hired you, which is that you're an expert in your field. Such good advice. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes into the last thing, which is just really quickly that for me, and this is so hard, and I know that people, all creative entrepreneurs struggle with this, I think, and that is that just redefining success and that the success has to be defined as what the client wants and what the client is happy with. So, you know, if you produce a project and you love it and you can't wait to get it in your portfolio, but your client is unhappy, you have failed at your job. And so I do think that's why it's really important to have those initial conversations about their ideas. It is possible that they will want something, you know, at the end of the project that might be slightly different than what you would have done if you were doing a passion project for yourself or something along those lines. But as soon as you can kind of get on board with the fact that the end goal has to be a happy client, you're just going to find that they're happier, you get more referrals, and it becomes less of a battle for you in your work, which is kind of what we're all looking for, I think, in client work. I think you just hit something that is absolutely important. Guys, if you are not listening right now, this is where you need to really listen. I think Olivia has this expert ability to mix that creative side, that creative desire with like a brilliant marketing piece because you could create like your all-time favorite thing and your client might not choose it. But guess what? Like your clients are paying the bills. And so where that creativity and that client happiness intersect, like that is a sweet spot. And it might not mean that you're creating the things that set your heart on fire every single day, but it also might mean that you're paying your mortgage and things like that. And I feel like nowadays people feel this tug of like all or nothing. Like I have to be doing work that sets my heart on fire every single day, which absolutely I disagree with entirely. I think no matter what job you have, whether it's nine to five or an entrepreneurial job, you're going to have things that you're just not thrilled about doing, but also like creating the things that inspire you, but also just making happy clients. And one of the things that you have said before, Olivia, that I think needs to be blown up on a billboard somewhere is sometimes what's easiest for me is not best for my clients. I'm going to read that again, because I think it's so important. You said, sometimes what is easiest for me is not best for my clients. So can you kind of explain what you mean when you say that and give us an example of what that is talking about? Yeah, that is. I have this kind of philosophy of client-centered strategy that is really central to my business. And the basic concept is that my business exists to serve my clients. And the better that my business serves my clients, the better it serves me. So what that basically means is the happier my clients are, the easier it is to book with me or receive files or pay invoices, the more likely they are to go out into the world after, you know, as happy customers and tell someone else how much they enjoy working with me and ideally book with me again. So my, my end goal, you know, my business is my business. 
but it exists for my clients. And so I have to kind of constantly check my ego. And I think this is something that a lot of people can relate to and make sure that they are really at the forefront of every single thing that I do. Mm -hmm. What has been like when you think about this quote and kind of what your philosophy is, what do you think has been like a big learning moment for you where this was like, okay, this isn't about me. <laughs> this is about them. And like, how did you navigate that? Because I think that no matter what industry you're in, you're going to have moments like that. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of have a system in place now for evaluating clients experience and making sure that I'm constantly improving. But for in terms of a specific example, I mean, this is kind of more administrative side of things, but I used to charge my clients credit card fees. So this is legal in Minnesota. It's not legal everywhere, but I, it seemed fair to me. I did not want to pay these credit card fees because it felt like a lot of money to be giving up for every job that I was working on. And the product of this was that a lot of clients paid me by check or they wanted to set up a bank transfer. And it just took a long time to get paid. And I was getting what I wanted, which was fee-free payment. But I was getting a pretty strong sense that it was not what they wanted. And so I started asking my smaller clients who, you know, if we're not paying through an accounting department, because obviously those are always going to come through as checks. But I started saying, okay, what's the easiest way for you to pay? How do you pay other bills in your business? What are you doing when you pay your other vendors? And the overwhelming response was, we use, you know, I want to use my credit card. So I stopped charging clients credit card fees. Now I kind of consider it just the cost of doing business. And the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. And the other byproduct is that I get paid extremely quickly. So, I mean, on the surface, when I started to look at it, I was kind of like, okay, well, this isn't what I want. I don't want to be giving up credit card fees. That's inconvenient for me, you know, on the surface. But kind of upon taking a deeper dive, I realized that my clients were happier. They paid faster and it made the experience smoother for them, which is the only, you know, that has to be my number one priority. So that's kind of more of an admin side of things, but it's probably the biggest transformation or very clear from the feedback side. I think that's great. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know for me, it was like three years in and I was still collecting contracts and payments by mail. And I had this weird filing system. And my literal greatest fear was that I would double book a wedding without realizing it because my system wasn't flawless. So mm -hmm. I can absolutely relate. So before we finish this bad boy up, talk to me about what your studio looks like today. We've kind of talked about the past, but how are you operating today? What does your client workload look like? And what kind of excites you about the work that you're doing? Yeah, my studio today, you know, I'm still a one woman studio. So I have an assistant who helps me on the administrative side of things. And that has been incredible but I am the lead designer on every project that we tackle. And I work with clients in every industry. I niche a little bit in terms of service. I really focus on logo design, print design, packaging. And I also do a lot of podcast work. And, but I don't, 
niche at all in terms of industry. So I can go from, you know, in a single week from golf course to bespoke lipstick brand to restaurant to, you know, photographer, videographer. So it really is all over the map. And I love that. I think that it makes me a better designer, a better business owner, and keeps me on my toes. And it's just something that has really elevated my business, I think. And there's something that I learn from all of those industries. I might learn something from a big print project in the golf industry that I bring back to packaging for a skincare line. And I just think it really has advanced my business. And kind of like you mentioned earlier, you know, we're all trying to pay the bills. I don't discriminate in terms of who I work with. If the project is something that I think I would be a good fit for and I'll be a good visual problem solver, I love to take it on. So that's been kind of fun. Don't discriminate. I love that. Before we sign off, let's talk about the rebrand of the Gold Digger podcast. How was that project? We took it on literally kind of as I was on maternity leave and going into it. Walk us through kind of your vision because I feel like I kind of was like, hey, take this and run. I just want it to feel more approachable and more fun, but still high end. So walk us through kind of your vision for the podcast and how you landed on this beautiful design. Yeah, it's just so fun to work with you on any project. And I think I remember you saying at one point, I'd have to dig up the email, but I'm pretty sure you said you wanted it to feel kind of like a party or like a a space where women are like gathering and it feels exciting. And so that, you know, for me, just set off this kind of visual train of thought. And I knew that we wanted to work with your existing color scheme and I knew that, but we wanted to pull in a bunch of other colors. And so kind of massaging that to get to a point where we created some visual flexibility for you was really fun. And it, you know, it did come together really quickly and it wasn't, you know, what we landed on was not the first round. I think that especially young designers get upset when they have to go through revisions. But I think revisions are amazing. Work always gets better the more you work on it 99% of the time. So it was great. You you know, you had, of course, you were like right on it with feedback and your team, you kind of pulled your team. And that was super helpful to kind of get feedback from a lot of the stakeholders who are part of your business and know it better than anyone else. So I just love how it turned out. I do too. And, you know, it was just fun. I think a lot of times people enter a business and especially branding as a whole, and they almost feel like they have to get it right on the first go. And when I look at the brand that my business started with eight, nine years ago, oh my gosh, like it has transformed time and time again. And I think it's such a beautiful reminder that you can constantly reinvent yourself, that you never have to stay stuck. Like I I love the quote and I don't know who said it, but it's like, you are not a tree you can move and Mm -hmm. same with business and design and so I always still believe done is better than perfect and when we created the original gold digger brand it was literally me 
in Photoshop. I am not a designer. We pulled it together just so that we could get this content out into the world. And so it felt so fun to have you kind of leave your mark and you've worked with our brand now for a while. And so it was really just such a beautiful experience to launch the new year with a new look and to kind of just refresh the stuff that we're doing. So I want to encourage you guys to like going through a rebrand. It can be a really big, exciting thing, or it can just be a little quiet update and whatever you want to do. Just know that no matter what you started with, you don't have to finish with. It doesn't change your brand because I believe branding is how you make somebody feel. And sometimes that can change. And so all of the visual stuff is just that added way of making someone feel something. And Olivia, you just really nailed it and have given us a look and vibe and feel that I feel like just encompasses exactly what Gold Digger is. Oh, thank you. And I mean, you really hit the nail on the head in that, you know, I always try to say that I offer visual branding because so much of what I come in and do, you know, it's possible for me to do my job as a graphic designer because you had done all of the work of determining your audience, you know, figuring out the type of messages that you want to communicate how you want people to feel when they listen to the podcast, you know, encouraged and positive. And so having all of that locked down for any business is going to make going through a visual branding exercise so much more enjoyable for you. Absolutely. So where can everybody connect with you and find you and follow you? You guys, her feed is just filled with visual inspiration. So lay out all the places. Okay, so the best place would probably be Instagram, and that's just at Olivia Herrick Design. And then the other place is my website, and I do share a lot of resources on my website for designers and services-based businesses, just kind of based on my experience growing my studio. So that's more of my formal portfolio space and a lot more content. And then my Instagram is a great place to see kind of the day-to-day, those creative exercises I talked about. Awesome. And what is the URL for your website? That would be oliviaherrickdesign.com. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much, Olivia. And I'm so excited that now the Gold Digger family gets to know the girl behind this beautiful brand and all the visual aspects that we have for our podcast. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Something I love about Olivia is that she believes that it's important to pursue our passions. But she also believes that it's equally important to be able to pay our bills, like our mortgage or our electricity bill. I think a lot of times today in this entrepreneurial world, people are putting out these beautiful quotes and thoughts like pursue your passions or make sure your work makes you fully come alive. And while I agree with all of that, I also think it's important to approach business from a standpoint that supports your life. I mean, I am all for pursuing your passions, but let's be honest, guys, we've got bills to pay. And so why don't we take care of all of those bills first and then get back to the things we're passionate about? I think it's so important that we as entrepreneurs are responsible with how we're spending our time and our energy and our money and how we pursue our passions, whether it's a side hustle or our full-time gig. I love how Olivia touched on some of the points that are awesome about nine to fives. I mean, I know I, for one, get lonely or I miss sitting down and having lunch with other humans who ask how your day is going. There are so many different aspects of this journey, whether you're a side hustler or you're rocking this full time. But I love the way that Olivia talks about how it's important for us to show up and serve. 
Whether you are running a profitable business or dreaming of starting one, I think when we start with serving, the rest will always fall into place. I hope that today's episode leaves you feeling inspired and encouraged. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the Gold Digger podcast so that you know every time we drop a new episode. We have some really fun things coming up and I want to make sure that you're not going to miss out. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.